Hey, everyone. If you're a fan of this podcast and you're looking for something else to listen to, I strongly recommend you check out Borrowed from our good friends at the Brooklyn Public Library. It's a narrative podcast about superhero librarians, Brooklyn neighborhood stories, and what it means to be a free democratic space in a changing world. It's excellent. The storytelling is top-notch, and I really think you're going to enjoy it. Just search for Borrowed, B-O-R-R-O-W-E-D, in your podcast app of choice, or look for it on the web at bklynlibrary.org slash podcasts. My name is David, and this is The Big Shut-In. It's Monday, January 4th, day 295 since I began social distancing. And a lot has changed in that time for everyone, all, all around the country, all around the world. And today I wanted to focus on a particular change. A really visible one right here in the neighborhood I live in, Sunnyside Gardens in Queens. Last spring, when we were in the first sort of wave of really serious repercussions from COVID-19, a food pantry opened just a few blocks from where I'm recording this. And pretty much immediately after it opened, the lines of people grew and grew and, until they were coming out of the door of this little church where the pantry is run and to the corner and then down this long avenue block. A hundred people, easily more, in line, waiting to receive these boxes of canned goods and vegetables. I'd walk past this all the time on my way to run an errand, and it was just such a tangible reminder of how many people are suffering now and out of work and having trouble feeding their family particularly in a neighborhood like this one where, frankly, the rent is pretty high and, you know, that kind of struggle is usually not real visible. And so I was really happy today to speak to Sophia, who is one of the people responsible for founding and running and maintaining that pantry, uh, which is out of a small church called Mosaic NYC. And to hear the story of how she was able to put that together and why, I knew it would be a good story, but man, I was not prepared for how poignant and moving and emotional this conversation was. I think it's one of the best ones I've had yet on this series, and I'm I'm very, very happy to share it with you. So here's Sophia. So Sophia, how, how are you? How are you doing? You know, I guess the standard answer is I'm good. However, you know, we just passed 2020, so I'm not too sure yet. But the truth is I'm tired, physically very tired. And so I think the emotional toll that it takes on us seeing so much need, we don't realize that that it's piling up, but but it is. It is. So I'm, I'm a little bit tired, but in good spirits. Tell me, for people who don't know, tell me about the program and where you are and what you're doing. 
Sure. So back in March, when schools started to shut down, there were a couple people in the neighborhood, including a gentleman by the name of Brent O'Leary, who who approached our lead pastor, Dan Sadler, to see if it would be a good idea to start a small food pantry out of our community center. Being part of the church, I decided I was going to join, come in and help wherever I could. Um, And by the end of April, we were just running out of food. We went from, I believe, something in the area of about 800 people, families served in the whole month of April to serving approximately a thousand each day we're open and we're open twice a week now. So that, I mean, that's, we never would have thought that, that we would have grown so much. Wow. So you're talking 2000 families a week. You're a week. Yes. Serving. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. And who, who, who are the people who are coming through? I mean, what are their circumstances? So what we saw in the beginning, it was generally perhaps a lot of undocumented local residents. We get a lot of day laborers come through. What we started seeing in the summer, however, were a lot of people that work on Broadway, off-Broadway, artists. It's interesting because people think that those on a pantry line, I hate calling it a food line, but on a pantry line is are, are like the destitute. That doesn't make you destitute. It just it just makes you someone that needs a little help. And I mean, we have people, we've known people that have had to move in together. I mean, can you imagine three families, three couples, that's six adults and eight children living in a one bedroom apartment so that they can cover rent? You know, okay, great. Yeah, they're all covering their rent and their basic expenses, but food, you know. I mean, I... I don't know how to put this exactly. I mean, I, so I live, I live in the neighborhood. I live, you know, about four blocks from the church. And I, you know, this is a very middle-class, upper middle-class, Sunnyside Gardens is a very upper middle-class neighborhood. You know, I mean, there's a lot of million dollar houses and people in, you know, creative professions and uh, college professors. And I mean, it's not, it's, it's not a working class area really where you are. And to see those lines, I mean, I, when I walk past it almost every day or open just on my way to something. And, you know, there's usually a hundred people in line, you know, waiting to, it's just, it shocked me. It shocked me that there's that kind of need from this in this, in, even in this little, our little neighborhood where generally speaking, people are doing pretty well or were. Myself, I, I was furloughed. We do construction projects with city agencies, city, state, and federal agencies. We came into work in July when the construction industry opened back up and a week later I was furloughed because while the construction industry opened back up, none of the city agencies have opened up. And so our contracts haven't opened up yet. My husband and I own a martial arts studio in the area. We had to shut down. And so by no means are we destitute, but my family has been fed from the food pantry where, you know, at the end of the day, I say, okay, listen, I need to take some stuff home too. And so this is really just something that we've never, I don't, I mean, I hope we never experience again and, and, you know, eventually we'll get through it, but, but we really see different, different socioeconomic extracts at this point. We've been doing it long enough now that 
one of the focuses, main focuses that we had when, when we started this, and we always have a chat with our volunteers, like a little pep talk before we get our day started. And one of the things was when they came to our pantry to feel like it was just a neighbor coming in to, yeah, yeah, sure. Help yourself. You know, we want people to feel like literally when, when I was growing up and I say this, my mom would send me to my neighbor to, Hey, my mom needs a little bit of sugar. We ran out of sugar. Can you know, my mom, do you have an extra egg? And so we've worked really hard at trying to accomplish that. I mean, we have one of our co-leaders, her name is Lucy. And our inside joke is that we run a five-star pantry because there's nothing that doesn't exist. Right. But, um, we provide, like, we even try to get, you know, dog food, cat food, anything that can help someone provide for a need that is food-based or something for an infant or a toddler is going to allow them to perhaps, you know, pay a bill. And so we provide diapers, baby formula, you know, and so it's just all, all people from all walks of life at this point. Have you noticed shifts over the course of those nine months? beyond the amount of people you're serving, but in, in terms of who's coming, this kind of stories you're hearing, anything different now from, from when you began? The one shift that we have noticed as of late is that people in general are are a lot angrier waiting on a line, you know, or not not that they're angry that they have to wait on a line, but a few months ago it was less likely that we would get we've had to move a lot faster. So, so that might be a part of it. We, we, we have to move a lot faster, you know, serving 300 people in one day, which was for us was like our max to serving a thousand. I mean, that's a huge difference. And so we, one is we have to work a lot faster, but people are generally lately, especially in December were much more, I would say, I want to say aggressive, not physically, of course, but just a lot angrier, less likely to be okay with following a direction that we're giving them, you know, simple things sometimes like, listen, we're trying to give you this box and we need you to move. Can you get off your phone? Or sir, you can't stand on this line if if you don't have your mask on. We've had people... I mean, I had a gentleman who was just severely rude and, and he said, well, where's my line? And I said, listen, there's just, just one line. He's like, but I'm a citizen. And I was like, okay, that's still the line for you. Well, why do I have to stand on line with all these undocumented people? And I was just, <laughs> you know, cause you can so, tell by looking, right. That's I mean, right. And so we do deal with, with, with some of that, but, but the biggest shift I think is people are really just emotionally tired. The weather is another factor, right? Because in the summer, while it's hot, we, we always had like, you know, ice cold water and people are like, there's no other pantry that, I mean, like we give people water on the line because we're naturally concerned for them to be hydrated. We don't want someone, you know, and we tell people like, there's no need for you to come and wait on a line for three and four hours. We are going to serve you, but still people come at 12 line up at 12. And so whenever the weather is really bad, we do, you know, we start earlier, people that are hungry. And man, that's like, if there's a basic human need, right? It's food. And, you know, it's terrible that so many people feel 
so kind of left on the margins to suffer. And even when people are upset and they come, I, I, I just recall this one gentleman who was coming to us a lot in the summer. And one day I said, hey, how are you? And he said, I'm awful. I effing hate this. This is terrible. Never in my life. I've never had to do anything. My parents came, you know, like the story. My parents came here, worked hard, gave us education. I was okay. And then, and then what? My unemployment barely helps pay my rent and I have to come in and he felt like he was begging for food, you know, and little by little he changed, you know, we started to get to know each other. And so, but, but I also got a sense of good for him for being honest, you know, how are you? I'm not good. (laughs) You know, that's, that's real. Yeah. Yeah, it sure is. And we, and we got that a lot. You know, we have a lot of people that, hey, how are you? Especially if you see someone feeling a little bit down and we get people who would just burst into tears. You know, my husband's sick. My husband and I had COVID and I have now, it's affected my heart. I just went through heart surgery and we're like, what are you doing here? Like, you shouldn't be out of your house. It's been two weeks since your surgery. Things like that. December was rough. I think I mentioned it to someone and they said something that made sense to me, which was it's the holidays, the uh, Christmas week. Wow. I mean, I don't know how many times I got yelled at and people were just, just looked a lot, a lot less happy. And I mean, the holidays, you know, I'm on a food line, perhaps people that don't have, you know, resources or we, we also did distribute close to a thousand gifts, like toys, and that's still not enough. And so, you know, some people don't get any. I mean, I can, uh, as you were saying, I mean, the, the everyone, the, the economic stresses of the holidays are very real that, you know, you're expected to buy gifts for your kids and throw, you know, not just feed your family, but have a feast, you know? And I mean, it's, and to not be able to provide that must be really stressful and, and humiliating and, Yes, this Christmas, we literally did not buy any gifts for our kids because we just can't afford it. We had someone who last week, I'm sorry, no, the week before Christmas, she's a single mom, but has been fortunate enough to have a good paying job career. And she came, I mean, she's scared. She's burned through her savings. It's been nine months. I mean, just to be clear, this is totally a volunteer thing for you, right? Can you, I mean, how are you finding the time and energy to do this in addition to whatever you must be doing to take care of your own family? I don't know. I just keep adding stuff and and hope I can sleep on the week. <laughs> but the, the truth is, there's just so many amazing people involved. It's not just me. I wouldn't be able to do it if if it were. I mean... At this point, I think it's hundreds of people that have come through in in one way or another. And that's the other thing. I didn't expect it to last so long. So jumping in in full capacity made sense at the time. And now here we are nine months later, and it's just gotten harder. You know, speaking of people's sort of anger and frustration, you know, I think we're all feeling anger and frustration and depression and and all of those things as this lingers part, part of mine is just this sort of overwhelming feeling that things could have been a lot better if there had been 
you know, more support, more leadership, more funding, more whatever from, from the government that just for whatever, for political reasons, philosophical reasons, criminality reasons, whatever, it just didn't happen. I mean, it, it strikes me that it would be hard. It's hard for me to listen to your story and I mean, one, not just feel tremendously grateful that you're doing this work, but also feel kind of like, why do you have to do this? <laughs> why are you, why is it on people like you to fill this gap? I mean, you must feel that some, some days. Yeah. Yeah. Some days I actually was talking to someone about this just last week, but I'm also the, I've just never been one to wait for someone else to do something. And yeah, it, it should have been you know, our governments, different layers of our government that, that did much more. However, they didn't. And so, you know, what are we left with? So I'm also part of this group called Growing Soul. I'm on the board of directors there. And I, and I got on the board of directors there through my work at the pantry. And so what the organization does is reaches out to, to local farmers and vendors Right now, through what was the USDA uh, Farmers to Families program, that program was instituted by the Trump administration. And so we were able to, I mean, we were doing about, we were distributing about 50 trucks a week to different places in New York City and in Long Island. And so it was kind of like a network that started forming out of Mosaic um, because suddenly we were seeing an overflow of things, which is amazing because now we're able to provide for other areas in the city as well. So that, no, that food program ended, um, which was interesting. Again, that was from the Trump administration. And so it was five rounds. The last round was for November and December. And the USDA reps let us know that they did not think there was going to be another round. But of course, of course you not, because everything's solved now. There's no reason for them to keep helping. Right. So. So hopefully we're hoping that, you know, with the new administration taking over, there will be some kind of resolve. But again, we don't see that happening until maybe March or April. And so what do people do in the meantime? <laughs> yeah. For sure. And so that's really hard. But again, I'm super thankful for like opportunities like these where we can just inspire more people who perhaps want to give or want to volunteer, would like to drop some food over. And it's hard because, and, then, but, and, I'll, and I'll be honest with you, we're a church group, right? Christian church group. As a Christian, our greatest commandment is love God, love your neighbor. It doesn't say love your neighbor if they have the same sexual preferences as you or if they look like you, or if they believe like you, if they practice like you, if they eat like you, you know, none of that. I have to keep that at the forefront because it doesn't mean that I don't get frustrated with people. Yeah, of course I do. I mean, I had one gentleman that, very nice gentleman up until one point where I, I think he was referring to a group of Muslim women. Those people, I'm like, oh God, you're, I'm going to kick you out. He's like, but, but, but you and I are the same. I'm like, oh no. Oh, no, we're not. We've had people. I had someone approach me and say, well, how come it's okay for you to work with a gay couple? And I'm like, well, how come you think it isn't? Well, you know, you're a Christian group. And I'm like, okay, well, let, let me, let me teach you a few things. <laughs> One is if you're, you know, really Christian, it, what it means is you're following Jesus. And Jesus said to love your neighbor. And that's it. We're regular people that want to want to love our community. And what we've been able to do is is give other people that want to help that truly have a heart to give and a heart to help the opportunity to do that. 
So, I mean, how long are you going to keep this up? Can you guys keep this up? I mean, it seems like the the vaccine distribution now is such a mess and it's going to be many months, it seems like, really before things are back to normal, maybe another year, who knows? Mm-hmm. How Can you guys keep this up for that long? So to your question, it's how long do we think we're going to last is we truly believe we'll be there as long as, as long as there's a need. So again, we've been so lucky. I think it's because we live in Sunnyside. We're located in Sunnyside that we're so lucky because so many people want to get involved and want to donate people that bring food by, you know, it's not only money. And so when we first started this, our pastor, he was like, think for the long term. I'm like, okay, six months. Really, we'll be fine by then, right? Six months. And he's like, yeah, Sophie, I think you guys should plan for a year. So I thought, okay, right now our costs, monthly costs are, they hover around 22,000 a month. And 22,000 a month, that does not cover a thousand people, a thousand families each day were open. I mean, that's maximum, maybe 400 to 450. Because with without a federally funded program or, or, or a city funded program that will deliver to us, well, there's no way. I mean, we would be spending 50 or $60,000 a month. So we would hover around 22,000, which covers the very basic some fruits and vegetables, some form of protein. We usually include eggs, you know, rice, pasta, some kind of dry beans, and a couple of other kind of like staple items. And then really it's the community that comes through with, you know, stopping by and like dropping off um, non-perishables, which which is kind of what brings some life into these packages that we make. If people want to are listening to this and they want to help, What's the best way to help? Is it is it donations of food? Is it donations of money? Is it donations of time? What are the things that are most useful for you? So all of the above. What um, we do like to tell people is if they would like to donate food, that's great. So money goes a long way, a lot longer than what someone else. If you spend $100, you can buy a certain amount of things for a limited amount of people. With $100, we can create packages, I want to say, for about 30 families, which that's a lot. You can't buy uh, a grocery package for 30 families with $100. And so financial donations do go a a long way. But again, actual food donated directly to the pantry is awesome because that's kind of what, what just brings a little bit of a little bit of the salts and the flavor into, into our packages. We are able to, we've, I've actually set up an account now with a wholesale food distributor that when I reached out to this company and they were like, wait, you're a, a what? I'm like, we're a pantry. Yeah, we're not a restaurant. We're not a catering company. But, and they were like, okay, well, this is 2020. This is a first for our company. And this is like a nationwide company. And so they're working with us where we just place our orders now and they deliver to the pantry. However, we still have to package everything, you know, 
we get like 50 or 100 pound bags of rice. So we have we have to do all that. And what is there a website? Is there someplace if somebody wants to make a donation, where can they go? Yes. So our website is mosaicchurch.nyc. And I always direct people to the giving portal. You can look it up. There'll be a tab for giving. What I always say is to make sure because you'll see different options in the drop down menu, which because people tithe through there, people give to other uh, ministries through there. But we have one that's called COVID Sunnyside slash Woodside Food Distribution in that drop down menu. And so what happens is, is that that donation is earmarked used specifically and exclusively for the pantry. That would be great for sure, because I mean, now we're kicking up our fundraising is essential. So yeah, yeah, that'd be great. I mean, if you walked into our community center today, you would never think there's it's a pantry. There's like 50 pound bag of rice in there. That's it. Wiped out, completely wiped out. And, you know, we trust that we'll be able to provide, but it's also you know, a little gut wrenching. Just because it comes and goes that quickly. It comes in and goes right out is what you're saying. Well, you know, December was interesting. We always have a little bit of a reserve. We have some shelving and things that we always have a reserve on. So if there are like emergency cases that people reach out to us about, we can always send somebody by the pantry and get something set up for that family and get it picked up or delivered. There's nothing. There's nothing now. It, we were wiped out in December. And it's clear, the one thing that I think in, in anyone that does any kind of work that benefits others, specifically people in need, any kind of need is you eventually have to come to terms with, you can't help everyone. You do yeah. your best and you keep going and you take a day to day and you don't worry about next. We don't worry about, I literally have learned not to worry about next week. Next week brings its own problems. And so at first it was hard. I mean, there have been days where I've had to turn people away. Um, sorry. It's okay. Where we've had to turn people away because we just, that's it. Food is done. It's over. And we can't, I mean, what do we do, you know? But, but that doesn't mean that our work is any less helpful. I mean, that's after serving 500 families, you know? But it's, it's still hard. And so you have to be okay with, it's still emotional, but you have to be okay and have a, like a healthy understanding that, that, that nobody is meant to cover the world's burdens. Yeah. I mean, even Jesus couldn't help everybody, you know? We do the best we can. He didn't. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't. So... Before we wrap up, I just I'm going to end where I began, and that's just to say how 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 are you? How are you doing? I told my husband last week. He was like, "What's wrong?" And, and I kept I kept saying, "I'm not sure. I don't. I, I'm not happy." I thought, you know, the holidays, you always get some kind of something, and and I was hoping to feel that, and and I didn't, and so I was really I was like almost crushing. And I told him, I'm like, I feel like I'm in a hamster wheel. It's like Groundhog Day. It's when is this going to be over? When are we going to see? It's really hard listening to people's stories and not take that with you. I I think that it's safe to say that what, what we're doing now with our group is that we're asking everybody to, to really try their best to enter into some form of therapy only because I've, 
it's been, you know, nine, nine months now. Yeah. Gee, Sophia, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time and talking to me. I really, really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much. This has been The Big Shut-In. My name is David Hoffman, and I produced the show along with Tanya Muhammad. It was edited by Garrett Tiedemann. The show is a production of Race Car Radio, racecarradio.com. You can find new episodes there, as well as anywhere you get podcasts. Please subscribe. You can also interact with us on social media. Go to facebook.com slash thebigshutin. If you have a story that you think would be a good fit for the show, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us an email, thebigshutin at racecarradio.com.